Yes, hello, folks. Welcome to the Global Football Show, the weekly Global Football Show. I'm your host, as always, Phil Brian, joined by my regular co-host there, Zach Loy, of course. Uh, we are going to talk about the World Cup, which, of course, just ended yesterday. Uh, we talked about this last week. We said, but tell me to do this podcast next week. We'll know who the world champions are. We know who the world champions are. Uh, and then probably one of the best World Cup finals. I mean, you can have this debate whether it's the best ever, but in an era where everything has to be the best ever or the GOAT or... Maybe we had something that actually lived up to that billing. Um, Zach, how you doing, mate? I'm doing very well, Phil. Um, good to uh, be back on the podcast and discussing it. Yeah, I've got a lot to talk about. We sure do, my friend. Uh, let me ask you about the World Cup final. We'll start there. <clears throat> uh, brilliant game. And I'll say this, international football needed this. In a time when club football is devouring international football, uh, certainly in Europe anyway, uh, international football needed something that they could advertise. That, that uh, Prior to the World Cup, I had a malaise. I, was, I don't know if I really want to watch this. I agree into the tournament, really, uh, primarily because of the entertainment. Uh, some of the early group games weren't great, but it got better and better and better. And I was actually talking to a number of people yesterday <clears throat> who really aren't football fans, uh, Americans who are watching the games casually, who were telling me how much they loved it. And I think that's a great parameter for, um, you know, it, it, I think uh, it's a great parameter for how, how success. What did you make of the game yesterday? Well, I just thought it was uh, absolutely spellbinding. Um, I mean, I've watched, I think I've watched, the, I, I remember watching the 2010, uh, 2014, 2018, 2022 World Cup Finals. So I've only watched four. Um, I, I watched the 2006 one, but don't really remember it because I was pretty young. But from the mm-hmm. ones that I did watch, uh, this was without a doubt the best. And it was also the one that I think had the most hype. A lot of times when a game has so much excitement, you know, it's hard to deliver on that hype. But it, uh, it, it absolutely delivered. I think that going into this game, uh, you know, the, the stakes could not have been higher. And it was certainly built up to be not just France versus Argentina, but Kylian Mbappe against Lionel Messi. Yeah, um, I was go- yeah, I was going to go there. Yeah, yeah. Be- because I think that um, when you say it lived up to its billing, I think that's a really, really important point because we had two gunslingers. And rarely did we get a situation, you know, I love boxing. And yeah. um, one of the great... You know, rarely do we get big fights that live up to the bill and where you know two people are so hyped um we rarely get where both deliver and mm-hmm. we had a situation here this was like Hagler Hearns in many ways um where they both went at each other went for the went through the juggler and in many ways for me Zach had this have been a Portugal uh, Argentina final, it would have been billed as Ronaldo v Messi, there's no doubt yeah. but I think we got the better of those duels with Mbappe, because I think Mbappe in my opinion removed all doubt um, and I, I would put him above Erling Holland as the new success, so maybe we get Holland v Mbappe the next generation, I don't know Every every yeah. everyone needs, every great athlete needs a rival doesn't, don't they? Uh, and I think um we saw two grades deliver on the world stage. Yeah, 100%. I think that 
Look, I said before in this podcast that if it came down to it, Argentina against Portugal, I think it would be somewhat anticlimactic because, you know, Ronaldo did get benched for the last two games. And uh, I would probably expect him to be on the bench uh, if, if they were to make it to the final. The fact is, he's not that good of a footballer anymore. I'm sorry, but those are the facts. Uh, I don't want to get too much into Ronaldo because this isn't this yeah, isn't Ronaldo. Right. What I will say is that you know this this final, it it ended the debate. Okay, it removed all doubt. Um, you know there will be people tomorrow who still think Cristiano Ronaldo is the greatest player of all time. That's fair. There will be people tomorrow who think that the Earth is flat and that uh, vaccines for COVID nineteen give you para uh, <laughs> paralysis. You know, they're entitled to that opinion. Um, but what I will say is that seeing this debate end in a matter of minutes, it almost gave me uh, a newfound appreciation for Cristiano because for the past 15 years, we've been debating who's better between these two. And it's a really good point. Yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo, despite not having you know anywhere near the amount of natural talent as Messi, he has managed to 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 remain in that debate and not only that but force Messi to improve force him to not be uh complacent right and i think that's that's why every every player needs a uh, a rival and that's why i really hope i'm i'm worried that mbappe is going to be just so far ahead of everyone like so far ahead of the erling hollands the vinicius juniors um, the Phil Foden's that he's going to mm-hmm. uh, get complacent. So I, I hope that's not the case. I, I don't know if it's going to be the same, you know, Messi and Ronaldo going back and forth like the past 15 years, but, you know, we shall see. Um, but I think this this tournament, this, fa- this final was just so special because it was arguably the two best players in the world right now going at it. The, the owner of the past 15 years going against the owner of the next 15 years in a just perfect intersection. Uh, it's almost like if, if you had like a, you know, Michael Jordan in, in the, yeah. in his final uh, year for the bulls going up against a 23 year old LeBron James, right. When he was uh, staking his case, have those two going up against it in the in 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 game seven of the nba finals and have just both of them dropping 50 points just pulling all kinds of crazy stuff i mean that's essentially what it was um and and i think it definitely lived up to the hype as not just a incredible showing between two teams two teams who most certainly deserve to be there but uh just a phenomenal showing between two uh extraordinary players let me ask you about uh, Scaloni and Deschamps because <clears throat> the game starts badly for France, and it looks to me like they got the setup wrong. Uh, they fall two 0 behind. They make two substitutions around the fortieth minute. Uh, looking back, is there anything you criticize Deschamps for? Looking back on it, eh, I don't think so. You know, I'm a big believer in um, if it ain't broke don't fix it. And I think that while there, there, there definitely were some uh, causes for concern going into this game from the, from the, the, the England and Morocco matches, I don't think that there was anything to say for, for to convince Deschamps um, 
uh, you know, to, to change things up in his lineup. I believe the only change that he made was Diogo Makano coming in for Ibrahima Konate. And, you know, I, I recognize that Konate did very well when he played, but I think that Upamakano justified his starting spot. Um, I, I thought that he made some very good game-saving blocks. But uh, overall, I think that Argentina, they studied France very well uh, over the course of this tournament. And I think that for the first time this entire tournament, Lionel Scaloni, uh, he, he recognized where, where France's uh, weak spots lie. And I think that part of that was, was definitely bringing in Angel Di Maria after he had, you know, played, what, eight minutes throughout the course of the knockout round, bringing him into the left wing. And that ob- obviously paid off. You know, I thought that Di Maria was uh, the best player on the pitch for the first hour of the match before he got taken off. Um, and what that did, I think, is is it really, one, it, it, it had Di Maria stay wide on the left and uh, draw out Jules Koundé. And mm-hmm. for a few weeks, you know, I had been saying that I thought that this was a potential weak spot for France uh, because Jules Koundé is not a right back. He's a center back. You know, I think he's a very good player, but uh, there's there's a clear potential mismatch there. And what that did was I think it, it targeted, uh, it, it had Di Maria target Koundé, have him draw him out wide and run at him, and um, and also take advantage of... The fact that, frankly, uh, 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 France's attackers aren't the best when it comes to defending, right? Kylian Mbappe, as good as he is, he doesn't really make any effort to track back or help his his fullbacks out. And uh, Ousmane Dembele, frankly, (laughs) you know, he... I don't want to. I don't want to scapegoat mm-hmm. him, but he produced one of the worst individual displays I have ever seen uh, in a World Cup final. So I thought that it was justified for uh, Deschamps to take Usmane off. Um, felt a little bad for Giroud, but I, I will admit that I thought that Marcus Thuram and Randal Kolomani certainly made a, a better impact than those two when they came on. So I think that Deschamps, he, he. A lot of people were saying. You know, did did this really work? It seemed like he was just panicking, uh, bringing on two attackers in the 40th minute. But I think that as as the game progressed, we saw France sort of somewhat getting into it. And I think that actually, um, it was it was not just it was not those subs necessarily, but uh, but but some other substitutions. You know, I thought that uh, Kingsley Coman, the the double yeah. substitution of Kingsley Coman and Eduardo Camavinga for Theo Hernandez and Antoine Griezmann was was very good. You know, Theo. I would say he's been the best left back of this entire tournament, but I thought that he he had been exposed defensively on quite a few occasions, um, and and I, I think that Kamavinga, whilst despite the fact that he's a central midfielder, I thought he actually did pretty well at left back. You know, in terms of winning the ball back and and helping out, and Kingsley Coman as well. I thought you know a lot of people thought that was a, a an error in judgment considering the fact that Griezmann had been one of the uh, best players of this entire tournament, but I thought he did fairly well um, as well. But I remember in the in the 71st minute, um, or, you know, around that time uh, when, when Griezmann was coming off, um, my, my girlfriend was saying, you know, why are they taking off Griezmann? Why not take off Mbappe? He's been so bad. And to be fair, you know, if you watch that game again, Mbappe was pretty anonymous uh, for, for the start of the game. But I told her, 
the, because the thing about Mbappe is, uh, you know, even when he's having a poor game, he can turn it on in an instant. We saw that against Morocco, where he didn't really do much, but created the second goal for Colomani. And what do you know? He scores a penalty, equalizes just seconds later, and just completely turns it on and was just an absolute phenom throughout the rest of the match. Um, and he really showed just that kind of transcendental uh, ability that he has. So I thought that it was just so fantastic to see these two guys going at it, Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappe. But uh, with that being said, I don't want it to be seen as like a, this was only, you know, these two guys going at it. I thought that there were a lot of other players who deserved a lot of credit. Uh, Di Maria, of course, he, he was absolutely phenomenal on the left flank. I thought that the midfield trio as well of Rodrigo de Paul, Enzo Fernandez, and Alexis McAllister certainly held their own. Um, and yeah, I think that uh, I, I I do think that Deschamps substitutions they they did help France get back into it and and uh, and hold their own for the final match. And I think it's also you know I know that a lot of people were some I heard some people saying. Uh, this this World Cup final is overrated, you know, for so long, for like 80 minutes, this was the most one-sided final ever. But guess what? I think that makes it even better because that that is what football is. You know, you can be dominating for for 80 minutes. Mm-hmm. We saw this with, with Real with Madrid Dutch. so many occasions so- last season, and you can still end up losing. Yeah, it's Because football, especially high-level football, it's it's about the big moments. It's it's about you know getting into the game and and stepping up and and making yourself uh, heard in, in these big moments. So I thought that yeah, for me this was one of the craziest for me the craziest sporting match sporting event uh, I have ever watched at, at in any sport at any level. Yeah, I wouldn't. For me, I, I wouldn't give it that title because uh, <clears throat> we've seen other games that were a bit more dramatic to me. But um, I think that it was one of the few times where a World Cup final has lived up to its billing. And I think um, when the dust settles um, and you look back on it, there's going to be certain things that. I mean, I, my, my question, I questioned Hugo Lloris on penalties. I was looking at his record on penalties, and it's atrocious. Yeah. And I must say, I felt that when it would go to penalties, Argentina would win it. And we saw what happened to Copa America, right? Final with Emi Martinez. And I know that he had conceded a couple of penalties during the game to Mbappe, but, um, but France don't have 11 Mbappes. And I, I felt even the France players that missed never looked confident. Um, but um, I feel like Hugo Lloris could have been better. Yeah, I I agree. I I think that Lloris, you know, for, for me, you know, he had some good saves throughout the tournament, but he has never been a good penalty taker. Um, and I think that this is probably one of those one of these moments where, you know, last week we we spent thirty minutes talking about how good of a coach. Didier Deschamps is, but I think if there's anything that you can criticize him for, it's 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 loyalty and sentiment sentimentality to certain players. Um, and I think that Deschamps, you know, he recognized this is Hugo Lloris we're talking about, the most capped France player of all time, uh, somebody who's been the captain for I don't know so many years, um, somebody who's 
who's probably playing in his last World Cup. Uh, and I think he wanted to trust him. And I think that, you know, if Yoris were to have remained, to, were to have stopped a few and, and led them to to victory, I think that uh, he would probably be considered the greatest French goalkeeper of all time. You know, maybe maybe he's maybe he is. I, I think he's probably in the pantheon. You know, with some other guys like like Fabian Barthez. But um, but yeah, the fact is, Yoris has has not really done a good job of stopping penalties. I can't remember the last time, you know, he saved one. Um, obviously, he he mu- must have put some Tottenham mind tricks uh, to to uh, encourage Harry Kane uh, dropping one of the worst penalties I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. But, but, but yeah, I, I agree. I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure if putting on Alphonse uh, Areloa or... Or uh, Steve Mandanda would have made a ton of difference, but yeah, I, I do think that Yoris, for me, he he didn't do enough. He he was poor, and I think that there's frankly acres of space between him, probably one of the worst top level penalty savers, um, alongside the likes of David Gea and and Emiliano Martinez, who is just he's just incredible when it comes to penalties. We saw that. In the uh, Copa America semifinal against Colombia, you know, getting into the minds of these players, and uh, we saw that uh, against France. You know, did he cross the line? Did he do some things that were unsportsmanlike and obnoxious? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, uh, he 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 um, he did what he could to give his team an advantage, and that's all that matters. So you know, there are only plenty of people who who criticize. Mm-hmm. So he's he's such a clown. Guess what? Argentina are not winning this World Cup without Emiliano Martinez. And I think you can say that about a number of Argentina players <clears throat> that um, you know they, they don't win that World Cup. I almost felt that um, Messi it, it it had a very eighty six feel about it, and mm-hmm. I think we saw aspects of Messi's characteristics of his character that um, we don't always see. And you know he's always got this sort of a, you know he he, he he's a goodie you know he, he's this good guy that uh, never is involved in controversy doesn't have a nasty snidey edge to him but he showed that in this World Cup and I think maybe that was important I think he needed that and I think that the Argentinians were expecting a bit of that from him and it, I mean like I remember the '86 World Cup I was young but I still remember it. I still remember the swagger. And how Maradona captured the nation, and they almost lived through him. This was something Messi was never able to do. He was never able to channel that. There was appreciation of his skill level and what have you. But there's a video doing the rounds today um, that shows how many commentators of the last couple of years in Argentina, in fact, wanted him removed from the national team. Um, and so it's, it's an illustration. It's easy to sit here and say, "All right, Messi, you know, he's idolized," but Let's be let's be let's be honest here. That hasn't always been the case. He's had a difficult relationship with his homeland, um, and I just felt for the first time Messi had channeled um, that Argentinian passion, and the, he he read the room properly and personified what his nation needed from him and wanted from him, and almost felt there was a certain destiny to him winning that trophy. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think that. Look, for me, there are several reasons why I consider this to be one of the greatest World Cups ever. 
Um, and I think that at least at least the greatest World Cup in my lifetime. And mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons for that is just kind of the finality of it all. Um, this World Cup, obviously we won't know in, until another three and a half years from now, but this will likely be the final World Cup for so many legendary players. Messi, Ronaldo, you know, Robert Lewandowski, um, Hugo Lloris, just Luka, Luka Modric, so many other players I could mention. But, uh, you know, this was in many ways their last chance for eternal glory. And I think that it, it was certainly Messi's chance to redeem himself for the missed opportunities of, of you know, of, of losing to Germany in uh, the 2014 final and, and finally uh, putting himself, er- erasing that ghost. Um, so I think that, you know, there, there really aren't that many parallels. I think maybe one of them could be uh, LeBron James in the 2016 NBA Finals where he, you know, went up against this incredible Golden State Warriors team and, and gave uh, Cleveland their first ever um, championship. Uh, so, so there's, there's, I think, obviously it's not the same because of club versus international, but I think that this was in so many ways about redemption, about revenge. And I think that for me, the, the best moment of this entire final was not anything that Messi or Mbappe did, but what, uh, but, but the final play because Gonzalo Montiel you know this this tournament we can we've kind of seen Lionel Scaloni uh, constantly tweak with the fullback positions. Sometimes it was Tagliafico at left back. Sometimes it was Acuna. Sometimes it was um, Montiel. Sometimes it was Molina at right back. But yeah, Gonzalo Montiel he um, he got suspended for the semifinal, lost his place in the final. Came off came on. Uh, at, at, at the start of extra time and just when it seemed that Argentina were coasting to victory ends up conceding a, a handball and a penalty and you know if 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 France were to have won that I don't think he would have ever forgiven himself even if he managed uh, to to win it to win the World Cup later on because like I said this is Lionel Messi's final chance to win it all and one thing that I think was really unique about this tournament uh, is that it was really the, the first time I can remember a final where, where so many players, they were saying, you know, I don't want to just win this thing for myself. I don't want to just win this for my country and my family. I want to win this for Messi. This is his last chance for it. I heard that mm-hmm. from so many players, Emiliano Martinez, Rodrigo de Paul, so many players just kind of burdened with that. Um, and I think that Montiel, for him to go from uh, conceding the penalty to scoring the penalty that that wins it, that that wins it, this is this is what football is all about: redemption, emotions, um, and you know, picking yourself up when you fall, and and stepping up. And it's about which player can keep their nerves, and and just you know, maintain that composure. And we saw how Montiel had the mental strength to, to, you know, go from costing his team uh, a place, costing his team the victory to, you know, to not only 
taking the penalty, but saying, you know what, I want to, I want to take a penalty, and 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 firing it into the back of net and sealing his name uh, into eternal glory. So I just thought it was so beautiful. If you go back to the last time <clears throat> Argentina won the World Cup in '86, it was the pinnacle for them, and it took them 36 years to win it again. Um, because of course, you know, certain players were coming to the end. You know, Maradona still played in the 1990 World Cup, uh, 94 World Cup, um, but they were never able to recapture that. Uh, I know they got to the final. <clears throat> In 1990, but uh, I remember watching the Argentina in 1990, a bird no resemblance to the Argentina of 86. Uh, it was a very pragmatic Argentina, on very Argentina. There wasn't a lot of fact that were routinely criticized for being extremely boring in that World Cup. And it certainly wasn't the Maradona of 86. So the question then becomes how did Argentina, after Messi, maintain this type of level? Because are we looking at an Argentina that will have to evolve to not be one of the, I suppose, downsides of when you have a genius like Messi is you, you naturally become dependent upon them um, to get you out of tough situations, to get you out of games, to, to win tight games and what have you. And that's totally understandable. Argentina will have to change, Zach, after Messi. And there's talk about whether he's going to retire or not. You know, Scaloni is asking him to stay. Um, where do Argentina go after Messi? Listen, I don't think that's a question we're going to have to ask for a few years because from what Messi has said uh, since that final, you know, he said, I've, I've got pretty much, I've gone from winning nothing with Argentina to uh, winning the Copa America and the World Cup in the span of a year. You know, I feel good. Let's do this. And the fact is, as long as Messi is playing at this level, he's going to be the captain and an undisputed starter. Um, and, and, you know, he's going to have a place in the team. So I, I think that it, it's clear that for me, when you look at the, the young players that are coming through in this Argentina team, I definitely don't think that I, I would put them on the same level as likes of France, Brazil, Portugal, but, uh, it is clear that they still have some very promising talents, uh, coming through the ranks. And we saw several of them. Uh, step up this throughout this tournament. Uh, Julian Alvarez, obviously a different position at, at center forward, but uh, I thought he did very well winning the starting spot over Lautaro Martinez um, and, and taking them to the final. We also saw um, Enzo Fernandez picking up the Young Player of the Year award. And just overall, yeah, similarly, similarly to Julian, uh, winning himself a starting spot. Yeah. And I think that those two players are definitely um, two to look out for. But yeah, in terms of you know other players, who's going to step up? Who's going to fill that role that really no player in world football can? It, it's a it's a tricky question. Um, but I, I think that, like I said, there's there's a lot of room to be positive for in the future of Ar Argentina. Emiliano Martinez is thirty. Would expect him to be around for a while. Um, you know, in, in terms of defense, I think Nicolas Otamendi, I would not be surprised if he gets, if, if, if Lisandro Martinez takes over and, and, uh, and, and fills that center back pairing with, uh, with, with Cristian Romero soon. 
midfield, you've got a lot of talent. I thought that Enzo Fernandez was fantastic. And at 21, he's only going to get better. Um, Ezequiel Palacios, Thiago Almada. So a lot of a lot of promising players. But I think in terms of, yeah, who is going to be that next, um, you know, that, that player to step up and uh, play alongside uh, probably Julian. And they're, they're going to have to find... You know they're gonna have to find someone else to to step up because Angel Di Maria is 34. He's not he's not gonna be around for that much longer. But uh, I'm I'm very excited to see what what happens with that new generation of players. Looking at the likes of Matias Sule, Emiliano Buendia, you know Alejandro Garnacho, who I think was definitely in the running um, for for a couple. You know he's only going to get better too. Nicolas Gonzalez. So there's a lot of promising players, but I think that I think that it's it's good in in a way that we're not talking about like them in that same vein because you know you look at so many players, hundreds of players, and hundreds of Argentine players really who've been dubbed the next Messi, and where are they yeah. now? You know they're they're either playing at a lower league or they're out of football completely. So you know we'll we'll see what happens. I think that Messi isn't going away anytime soon, though. I think that, for me, you know, he is definitely at his happiest right now when he's playing for Argentina. I'm not saying he's unhappy at Paris Saint-Germain, but uh, it's clear that this is this is, you know, th- this is his his dream house, Argentina. PSG is really only a rental. Let me ask you about a controversial incident that happened at yep. the end of this game. <clears throat> And I apologize uh, for, if I pronounced this correct, incorrectly, but the beast, um, which was put on Lionel Messi. And there's different views on this about whether this is something that should have happened or shouldn't have happened. Um, it all depends on where, you know, where, where you're sitting, I suppose. It uh, depends where you stand. Um, but um, my view on this is... If it was done with Messi's consent, I don't see it being an issue. I really don't. Um, it's not. I mean, I, I. It's such an iconic moment in sports to me. Um, I think that's something that should have been agreed upon beforehand. That if you win, this is okay, rather than have something imposed on you. Um, but 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 it's such a difficult issue for me to talk about because. Not my culture, and you know, I, I want to be completely respectful. I've also seen European Cup finals where United players wore Russian police hats, you know, when they won in Moscow. Uh, admittedly, that was done with their consent that they wanted to do that, yeah. uh, it wasn't imposed on them. Um, I think that would be my only, my only comment on it. Yeah, listen, uh, I, I. I think that if I have an issue with it, it's it's that they didn't Cutter did not inform uh, the viewers that that this would be taking place. You know, I think a lot of people were confused. Like I, I was certainly confused, and I was like, "This is kind of bizarre." Um, you know, why why are they putting this on him? I think that if they had just kind of come out beforehand in the final, mm-hmm. and just said, "You know what? Whoever wins this, whether it's." Whether it's Lionel Messi or Hugo Lloris, we're going to give him the bisht to uh, to lift that and basically explain what a bisht is. Um, and that's a 
traditional uh, robe in, in Arabic culture, which is basically given to, given on many occasions, given to uh, members of royalty, but and also given to Arab warriors back in the old days after after they after they uh, won a battle. And I think that when you when you look at it from that lens, it makes a lot of sense because Messi just went to Qatar. He went to a foreign land, and he went and uh, won the World Cup and and finished the biggest battle there is in football. And he announced himself as the king of football. So I think when you look at it from that lens, it, it's really it's really nice. Um, and look, I I have my issues with Qatar. I don't think that Qatar should have been awarded the World Cup. But with that being said, uh, you can't let yourself be blinded by hatred for for this country. And I think that for all the issues that we have with Qatar, we have to admit that this has been an absolutely phenomenal World Cup and a phenomenal World Cup final. And I think that what what is so great about the World Cup is it brings so many people together and and allows people to uh to get a better view of of other people's cultures you know not just in terms of and not just in terms of the hosts you know i was in russia in 2018 and i had the chance to um speak to a lot of people from from all around the world from you know places like panama japan uh senegal just places all around and and get a better sense of their culture so that's what this this tournament is about. Not just about sports; it's about culture. And I think that uh, I, I think that a lot of people they've they've allowed themselves to be so blind with hatred and yeah. and just saying, "Oh, I've got to be you know I've got to be on my social justice warrior uh, <laughs> route and and you know say everything that Qatar does is terrible." Well, guess what? As many issues as you have with Qatar. Um, they, they have their own culture. Okay. They have their own language. They have, they have their own country. And I thought that this was a really nice gesture. I think that what they're doing here is they're, they're honoring him. They're, they're giving him something from their culture that honors their legacy. And it's almost like they're crowning the king. Um, so look, Lionel Messi, he's played in five world cups. Okay. He's, he didn't win it in Germany. He didn't win it in South Africa. He didn't win it in Brazil. He didn't win it in Russia. He won it in Qatar. Okay, so Qatar will always be a part of that legacy. Um, and look, I, I think that yes, there there are certain things that could have been done better. They should have explained this to the fans and the players. And you know, I don't know if they had the consent or whatever, but it, it certainly didn't look like Messi was was complaining at all by having it on. And I think that. It is interesting to see uh, so many people commenting on it. It's had a lot of people commenting on, on my tweet that said that just showing the support for the gesture, and you know, a lot of a lot of English people, a lot of Europeans. I don't think I've seen a single Argentine person saying this is ridiculous. I think the one or two Argentines that have commented on it have said this is really cool, <laughs> which I think is interesting. It's, but but anyways, <laughs> I thought that. It was a nice gesture. Um, I think that I think that there's there's a fine line between sports washing and sharing someone's culture. I completely agree, and I think yeah. even if you disagree with it, Zach, 
yeah. it's not something to get outraged over, right? It's to me, it's like, okay, even if you think it shouldn't have happened, does it deserve all these comments? I don't think so. Does it deserve outrage on social media? I don't think so. I think it's kind of you know, there's lots of things to be upset about that yeah. goes on in Qatar that rightfully, you know, people should be upset about. Absolutely. But I want to say this. I want to say this because there's no doubt there's people on the fringes that are racist and bigoted and yes. use that, use these human rights issues, um, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> as nothing more than an excuse to attack people they don't like. These these are often the same people that have no problems with the British government wanting to leave the European Court of Human Rights so that they can dehumanize migrants mm-hmm. and treat other people with no respect and take away human rights. These are people that support Iranian protests, but support the government, the British government, removing the right to protest in their own country and punishing people for labor laws. We live in a country where we're talking about LGBTQ rights. Well, they're not having mass shootings in Qatar with LGBTQ, uh, in the LGBTQ community. They're having them here. Right? We, of course, tried to ban them from joining the military. Right? They still can't give blood in a lot of cases. Uh, there's still massive prejudice being predicated against people in that community from Christian nationalists. I grew up in a country that was extremely punitive with religion, where the Catholic Church supported the Nazis. The Catholic Church trafficked Irish children across the world. They murdered Irish children. They buried them in unmarked graves because they they didn't fit for the most nonsensical reasons, because maybe they were born with a deformity or out of wedlock, they subjugated women into slave labor and in, in Magdalene laundries. Uh, they, these people, they divide the, the moral compass of the country? Absolutely no way. And, and so I, I think that we must criticize from a position of humility and say, we also have our own problems and we are also guilty. So let's make sure that we're not lobbing grenades from a treehouse rather than throwing bricks from a glass houses. I think we must also, and this is now becoming the norm where social problems, social policies are going to be parsed through a global lens on social media. And this is about now to turn its focus on the US and the social problems that exist here and will now rightfully, in my opinion, be illuminated and 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 will be heavily criticized for some of the worst aspects of our society. Yeah. I mean, there are just so many people uh, on social media who, it's like, if they don't complain about something every five minutes, the world is going to combust. Uh, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of things to be angry about in the world. There are plenty of things to be angry about with regards to Qatar, whether that's, you know, mm-hmm. the conditions for migrant workers or, or or gay rights but the fact is uh this is this is not sports washing okay it's simply uh it's simply giving Lionel Messi the king of football something to honor kings mm-hmm. um you know it, it's 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 something that will that will def- that will be a defining image and I I hope that it does help to bring the world closer together because you know, I recognize that there's a lot of skepticism about about FIFA's missions uh, with, you know, saying football, football is a uniter. You know, I, I get that. But 
this is this is an example where I think it really d- does show an example of unity to have a you know a player from Argentina who's spent his entire pretty much almost his entire career in Spain uh, going to Qatar winning the biggest tournament of them all and and having this uh, this really interesting uh, uh, ceremonial garb which by the way was transparent okay it didn't block the uh, blue and white stripes of the Albi Celeste jersey okay for mm-hmm. me I realize that other people will have a different opinion but I thought it was a really special image um, and and I think that yeah some people they just love to complain that you know they they will they will never uh, be able to to uh, to look deeper and and not allow themselves to be blinded by hatred but I, I hope that this World Cup does serve in a way to 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 bring people closer together okay I know that there are definitely some legitimate issues with Qatar the fact is football is a uniter it's it's something that can be used to bring people closer together um so yeah I I have no issue whatsoever with the bish let me ask you about something else this weekend that's being completely forgotten about as it usually is and that's the third place game <laughs> to me this is almost voyeuristic into someone else's pain right it's mm-hmm. almost like watching a, a funeral now we've played a world cup smack bang in the middle of the season and we've got two teams that were a credit to the tournament no question about it Prior to the game, they were talking about previous third place games. I couldn't remember any of them. <laughs> right? Yes. Was, they were talking about Turkey in two thousand in in, in the, uh, 2002 World Cup. Thing. Turkey was third place. I can't remember. Right? These players have just had an exhausting World Cup in the middle of their season. For a lot of these players, um, they have to go back to their clubs. And I'm thinking the last thing, it's almost like that picture that France had to take on the stage where it's the last place they want to be. I don't understand. Maybe it's worth a few million to the federations, um, but I don't understand why we need to have a third place game and what's the purpose of it and what is the benefit of it. Surely that's something when FIFA, who very rarely get anything right, talking about redoing the groups now, they had to drop that because they saw that the you know, the drama on the field wasn't, didn't need to do that. Everything is geared towards making money. We understand that. We know Infantino with his stupid World Club Cup now he wants to expand that, you know, turn players into, you know, uh, robots, um, all solely for the purpose of profit. Uh, I, I, I don't understand what the point of this third place game is. Listen, I I definitely see some validity to your points. Um, you know, I'm, trying to think of you know what i i remember belgium playing england in the last one and you know i remember something but i I don't remember any real moments they were all very forgettable that's fair but with that being said i think that this third place match it was memorable um i think that it's it was probably the most memorable uh third place match i can remember and i think that part of that was because you know you had two teams that Obviously, they're disappointed that they're not going to be playing 
the, the following day. And by the way, I think that, that that is definitely a big reason why third place matches in general are so forgettable. It's because, because they're overshadowed they, the next day by the World Cup final. Yeah. They're leading up. They're they're foreshadowed yeah. by they're overshadowed by by another game um, coming up. But with that being said, I actually like this match a lot. Um, you know, I thought that it, it was really memorable. Uh, Croatia taking the lead early on and um, Morocco equalizing like just I think 30 seconds later. Um, so and and I think yeah, just some very intriguing goals. Croatia obviously going on to win. Um, you know, you had the the Josko Gvardiol goal um, with with Ivan Perisic having the fantastic deflected header. You saw Atraf Dari um, getting a goal as well. So I honestly thought that this was the best third place match I can remember quite some time. And and, and another thing that that is that I liked about it which is something that happens in a lot of third-place matches, is uh, you saw both managers giving opportunities uh, and, and trying new things out with, uh, with, with, with new players. You know, We saw from, from Croatia, a lot of players such as uh, Josip Stanisic, uh, Lovra Majer, um, Mislav Orsic, who of course just scored the decisive goal and absolutely phenomenal curler, just a beautiful goal. For me, one of the best goals of the tournament. Um, and of course, on the Morocco side, saw a lot of players uh, as well, such as uh, Bilal El Canous, uh, I think just 18 years old, really in, um, intriguing talent, getting a start, as well as uh, Abdelhamid Sabiri. Uh, so you got, you had, you had kind of some, a lot of backups getting rare opportunities to show their worth. And uh, we saw, of course, two backups in Atraf Dari and Mislav Orsic scoring goals. Um, and I think that uh, I, I, I think that the fact that it was a third-place match did not take away from the fact that uh, this was a really emotional fixture. You know, I saw, like, so many occasions where the Morocco players were crowding the uh, the referee, saying, you know, what is this, Croatia you know, players going crazy as well. And overall, just, mm-hmm. you know, you could tell that both teams really wanted this. They wanted to to medal. Um, and, and, and I think that part of that as well is the fact that both teams are, are not used to being in this position. You know, obviously, Croatia, they did get to the World Cup final in 2018, but they're not typically a team mm-hmm. that, that is getting to these, uh, in, in, at least in their history. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm aware that they finished third in 1998, but generally they're, they're a team that is not going to take this for granted and neither is Morocco. And I think that, yeah, the fact that we had two real underdogs uh, fighting it out for the bronze medal made it very special and uh, it made it so that, that this was actually a pretty entertaining fixture. And you could see, yeah, a lot of, you could see the disappointment on a lot of Moroccan players to, to not get the bronze medal um, and and you could see just how much it meant to players like Luka Modric. You know, I I think that it's it's hilarious to me when I see players, you know, throwing off their third place or second place medals. Um, you know, I remember I remember Harry Kane tossing his second place medal uh, to to the ground after after losing the Euros final. I'm like, 
bro, you're Harry Kane. You've won how many trophies in your career? <laughs> and this is yeah, I would do that though. I'm patulent like that. This is Luka Modric on the other hand, a player who's won literally everything there is to win apart from a World Cup and Euros. Uh, you know, kissing his third place match medal and 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 cherishing it. So I think it really meant a lot to these players, and I think that it was I perhaps an exception to the rule in that it, it was a memorable third place match. But uh, yeah, I, I thought that this was a very good fixture, and it was it was something between two teams that have just come so far, and and I I think that yes, both of them would have wanted to be in the final. But they were beaten by the superior team, and, and that should not take away from their achievements. So here we had them getting a, a chance to show off and, and a chance to fight for the bronze. Um, and I, I thought that was really nice. And so, yeah, I, I think that this is definitely one of the best third-place matches I can remember for, for quite some time. And, uh, and, and it, it was, frankly, a, a great testament to the quality of both teams. You know, I, I see that, uh, you know, obviously th- there have been plenty of third-place matches that have been forgettable, but it really didn't seem like it was one where, where you know, both of these teams have been staying up for two days crying uh, over, over their loss in the, in the semifinals. You know, it did seem like both teams were really trying to win it, and uh, I thought that was really beautiful. Let me ask you. I, I think of, I was thinking about you earlier, um, yeah. <laughs> because Sky Sports has <laughs> done an article. Did you see this? Hi, Neil Mope helped Argentina win the World Cup by sparking the career of Amy Martinez, which, of course, you put out this hilarious tweet oh. yesterday. <laughs> uh, the butterfly effect. So I don't think they stole this from you. Uh, I'm buying it up there. And, um, Wouldn't be the truly, first <laughs> Oh, no, mate, they're notorious. I, I could tell you stuff that they've done. Um, I learned this hard lesson with them before. Um, nothing is, they don't respect embargoes and other stuff. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so uh, they, uh, they wrote this article. And so I have to say, I thought I, I, I thought of it this morning. Of course, they didn't credit you. Um, but uh, truly, uh, truly funny. But uh about all that, let me ask you what uh, one other question before we go. Um, the 20, the, the if you could do anything with the World Cup to improve it, what would you do? Oof, that's a really tricky question, really tricky one, considering the fact that we are coming off an absolutely fantastic tournament and mm-hmm. the fact that, um, 2026 will be 48 teams, which I do fear will potentially uh, worsen the level. Yeah, you know, I do what happens. But if the one thing I will say is that if this tournament uh, has taught us anything, it's don't judge a book by its cover. Okay. You, I, and all these, so many people were saying, Oh, this is going to be rubbish. This, this tournament should have never been cutter. Guess what? Uh, you know, you can still think that, but you have to respect the fact that this was a phenomenal tournament. But, um, you know, in terms of what I would change, eh, that's a very tricky one, honestly. I'm, uh, I, wouldn't, I would not get rid of the third place match, if that's what you're asking. Did you think all that added on time was... Uh, was I was thought something. that was, that was interesting. And, and it's interesting you mentioned that, Phil, because that's something that a lot of people kept on bringing up over the first uh, 
you know, over the first week. And I didn't really hear anybody bringing it up uh, uh, over over the past few weeks. You know, they got accustomed yeah. to it. Um, I thought that, that that was a good change. I thought I like it at a time as well as the, another change, which is um, it, which is uh, having uh, having two yellows result in a uh, suspension. I actually like that change as well because we practically saw zero sending offs. You know, like I think that you know I'm trying to think what what red cards we had. We had Wayne Hennessy trying to take off an Iranian yeah. player's an Iranian player's head. Okay, which which we should have had a couple. There should have been so many Argentina Mexico game oh, and yeah, okay. a couple. But, he, but I do think as well one thing that that we saw from there is that there was almost like a mutual respect. You know, I think that the referees they wanted they made it clear we're not going to tolerate any violence. You know, you saw I think sixty seconds in uh, the the Polish referee uh, whose name I cannot pronounce going up mm-hmm. to Rodrigo de Paul after he pushed over I think it was Rabio saying hey I'm not having any of that. Okay, so so yes there were. Plenty of players. I I think I'm trying to think. Did Romero get booked yesterday? Because I think he had at least five occasions where he could have gotten booked. But uh, but so yeah, there there were certainly some some examples of that. But with that being said, I do think that referees they they wanted to let these players play. They wanted to have a physical match. They didn't want to be overbearing, and that's fine. Honestly, I mean, I, I think that you have to find a balance. Okay, you have to find a balance between having a physical entertaining match and not endangering player safety and frankly i mean i'm trying to think of what uh major injuries we saw this tournament i think most of them were probably the results of muscle injuries or or fatigue you know i can't remember any like leg breaking tackles or anything so yeah to be honest with you i thought that 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 they, they that they had a good balance between laying down the line saying you know what? We're gonna let you play, but we're not gonna have any any funny business. I thought that uh, the referee did did a good job yesterday. Uh, you know, apart from one time where he didn't play advantage uh, on a France counterattack where Marco Sacuña failed to commit a tactical foul, <coughs> I thought that he did a good job. And I I, I think one of them as well. Uh, we saw him book. I think it was Marcus Duram for diving in the box. I really like that. You know, it's it's hard to spot from that defense, but tell you what, that that's that's one thing that that I would definitely like to see in future tournaments, um, incentivizing referees to book players for diving. Yeah, there's an inconsistency about that, uh, and I have to say, I was watching an England France game, a number of the English players asking for a card mm-hmm. whenever uh, missing Mount was was brought down the box. And usually English commentators, British commentators are quite vocal about their protestations when foreign players do that. Um, uh, I didn't hear much, mind you, whenever uh, that happened uh, in reverse, but um, oh, guilty of bias, I suppose. But one of the things I think about that added on time, I think we'd have seen a completely different, not a completely different tournament, but a very different tournament if that wasn't happening. How many goals did we see? In the last in those games in added on time, and I mean late in added on time. I mean the wheels around game would have been different. The Dutch Argentina game would have been different. The World Cup final would have been different. I mean there are so many times where we've seen games that were decided late, well into that extra time. 
absolutely. I mean, uh, 172 goals scored at the World Cup. That's a record uh, for for the tournament. And yeah, a lot of them were decided in extra time. So yeah, that that's that's some change, Phil, that, that I would like to see applied to international and club football. Seeing uh, referees tack on uh, tack on more more added time. You know, I think that time wasting is such a is such a massive issue in football. Um, there are plenty of there have been plenty of proposals on how to how to counteract that. Right, whether that's uh, you know, the changing it to a stopwatch where they do 60 minutes instead of 90 minutes, whether that's pausing it when it goes out. Frankly, I think that one of it is what one uh, one area that makes a lot of sense is, you know, is is having uh, more added time. And it, it means that players who, uh, you know, who want to waste time, whether that's taking forever to do a throw in or or a goal kick, you know, they you know, they can do that, but they might get booked and they're going to have to pay the price as well uh, with with more added time. So I really like that change. And uh, yeah, like I said, I think that time wasting is definitely one of the biggest issues in football right now. Uh, Massive issue. And so and I, I like that a lot. Yeah, players are really nervous those last 10 minutes and it gets played totally different. So now there's a reduced incentive, especially when you're making five subs. Now you're making all these different subs. I think that added on time really makes a massive difference uh, and added something. It grew on me as the tournament went on, um, but I really enjoyed it. But, Zach, it's been an hour, mate, so I'm going to let you run on, my friend. Thank you so much for doing this, as always. Thanks to all of you for downloads and all your retweets and all your messages. We really appreciate it. Uh, don't forget, give us a follow at Zach Roy or at BTL for all the fantastic articles. Um, but uh, maybe, I don't know if we'll be back next week because... Uh, and Big Bear over Christmas, but uh, we'll we'll be back at some point during that week. So take it easy, Zach. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, man. See ya. Bye.